the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The biggest pop culture movement since the Beatles, $22.5 billion at the box office, and we found the one guy who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. With two fellow MCU nerds to help guide his hand along the way, one thing is for certain, we're with him until the end of the line. Welcome to Colin Brain vs. the MCU. On your left. Hello and welcome to your new favourite MCU podcast designed for your ear holes. That's right. Episode 6. We made it to the Avengers. What an emotional journey it's been so far. We've had some great films. We've had some flawed films. We've had disagreements. We've had unity. We've had grapes fighting over seals. And special guest stars such as Jolin Brain and Stanley Urchin. So before we kick off proceedings, uh, please allow me to introduce my fellow co-hosts for this week. I like to think of myself as the Nick Fury of Colin Brain versus the MCU. <laughs> a man who had an idea to bring together Earth's greatest podcasters to form a supergroup of sorts that would change the podcasting world together. Or at least have a laugh whilst doing so. So if I am Nick Fury, then he is my Maria Hill. It's Robert Trot. Rob, say hello. Ba 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 and my thumb got wedged between the bit at the end and the sort of weird, shapey bit in the middle of a radiator. And I thought, that's me, I'm done. So I just panicked and did Alan Silvestri's score. Yeah. I'm done. Good start. Oh, Christ. Um, and lastly, just a man with a big beard. Take that away. And what is he? Well, he'd be a good friend and most importantly, a good man and a virgin. To the MCU, it's Colin Jolin Brain. Colin, say hello. <laughs> oh. Hello, mate. How you doing? So, how? I'm very good. How are you both? Great, man. Yeah, feeling good. I'm excited for this. Hmm. Well, how are you? We've established how I am. I'll get my thumb stuck <laughs> yeah. in radiators. <laughs> the radiator is nowhere near me, so I'm safe at the moment. Oh, I wouldn't expect anything less. So, Colin, you have pretty much no presence on social media do you uh, not personally no it's been quite a blessing that you're not on social media i guess because even though you're now sort of getting round to watching all these films you're still obviously completely in the dark as to what's coming up mm. so i wanted to ask you a question so obviously we've now met tony stark uh, bruce banner thor and captain america yeah do you know or can you name any other superheroes that have films in the mcu and i will not say whether you're correct or incorrect Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, even though I'm not on social media, I still haven't remained 100% spoiler-free just because, you know, spending time on YouTube and seeing mm. thumbnails and stuff like that. Um, so I'm pretty sure Spider-Man comes back at some point mm. and that he has his own movie. Um, I can name other superhero movies, but I'm not sure if any of them are <laughs> going to be Marvel or if they're in the MCU because it's... Uh, mm. I think is Doctor Strange one of them. I don't know if that's in the MCU, but that was Doctor Strange. Interesting. Okay, that's definitely one that I remember seeing, which I thought had the Marvel banner on the poster whenever that came out. Um, <laughs> let's think. Standalone. No. Um, oh, Ant Man and all that stuff. I don't know if that's in the oh. MCU, but I remember that being a thing a while ago, which made me giggle. Um, <laughs> 
I think... I can't remember if you mentioned that maybe they had just bought the rights to X-Men and Fantastic Four again or something like that, or you had mentioned okay, something. I, I, I guess we can say that, yes, they have got the rights to Fantastic Four and X-Men back, but we have not seen any films of them yet. be a couple of years away yet. Yeah, and I do know that um, there's another Iron Man, at least one more as far as I know. Um, I gather okay. there's more Thor films, there's more Captain Americas. Um, uh, you, well, there isn't another Hulk, right? Because of the um, the whole he can only be in you know not a standalone in movie thing, team up um, films or films yeah. that are not his. Yeah, um, and Black Panther. I don't know if that's part of the MCU, but I remember. That oh, yeah, good old Black Panther. Yeah, maybe, maybe one. not. We'll see. So, uh, and as always, we're doing this over Zoom. So, uh, Rob, uh, would you care to let our listeners know what your screen name is this week? I don't know why this is a segment you've brought it upon yourself. <laughs> It was going to be like a little in-joke between us, and you brought it to everyone. Yeah, but after Fucky Barnes last week, I mean... We had to do Fucky Barnes. George saying it on last week's one, that was coming back in my brain throughout the week and just giving me, just making me laugh my head off. This week, I am the god of mischief on a night out, blokey. Oh my god. I'm not. I'm really not. Thank you um, for that um, choice. So just before you joined in on the Zoom call, me and Colin were saying you were spoiled for choice this week. Um, I thought you were, you were going to do something with Tesseract or testicles, but um, you have gone with Blokey. So. <laughs> yeah, um, standard. So, Rob, um, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. Um, so in our first five episodes, uh, during your rewatch of the MCU film so far... Has there been anything you've changed your mind on, be it like a film, a character, a, a, a set piece? So, you know, either previously something that you used to dislike and now have a change of heart, or vice versa, anything you previously liked that you've now approached it maybe a bit more critically for the podcast that you've realised, oh, um, that's not as good as I thought it was. I would say Iron Man 2 has been the biggest surprise, because mm. generally I put that down as one of the worst films. I'm watching mm. it this time, I had so much fun with it. And especially the end, whole end sequence. The mm. Whiplash thing was still disappointing. It still felt like it was too quick. Yeah. But the fight in the Peace Garden, the flying around the expo, mm -hmm. the little kid when yep. Tony lands in front of him and saves it. Yeah, brilliant. I'm but, completely uh, the same, actually. I think I said it on the pod as well. That, that was always my... Even when we were doing the rewatch, I was sort of like, oh, this scene's coming up. And I found myself invested for most of it. All up until Whiplash turns up at the end. It was strange. Yeah. So far, so good. Skip the compliments. Let's get on with it. So, as always, you relax, boys, as I will now provide a background to the film to both Colin and our listeners. And as always, Colin, please feel free to interject... Uh, and me and Rob, I'm sure he will be able to help if you have any questions. So, the Avengers. So, plans for the Avengers were around all the way back from 2008, really, when Iron Man was released. Um, it was more of a dream than an actual greenlit film. Because creating a shared universe around five different blockbusters, all before bringing all of our heroes together in one big film, was essentially just unheard of. But Marvel did approach the whole project with 
with baby steps, so to speak. So they hired a guy called Zach Penn to create what they were calling at the time like the MCU Bible. He was asked about it in a recent interview, and is quoted as saying, I was officially attached to the Avengers in 2006. For me, it was a four-year process. During that time, my job was to keep an eye on all the other movies, writing stuff that could be set up and paid off, and with the help of the Marvel executives, create an overarching story or a Bible, for the five movies, so we would know where we were going and what the Avengers would be. We didn't want to be stuck in the end with a bunch of characters we didn't want to use or not having set up certain characters. So the Avengers was actually shot pretty much around the same time that Captain America was. So imagine if audiences had, you know, maybe turned on Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, and they didn't like him in the role. You know, Marvel would be in massive trouble because they were essentially filming them back to back and Chris Evans had no break whatsoever between the films so luckily as explained in our last episode the gamble paid off and audiences kind of fell head over heels for Chris Evans's cap and so the hunt for a director began so I was as we mentioned in our episode for Iron Man uh, the director of both Iron Man movies uh, John Favreau announced he would not be returning to direct any more installments but you know did want to be in the running for the Avengers now, most of the Marvel executives were happy for him to return, including Kevin Feige. But as the saying goes, uh, everyone has a boss, even the bosses. Now, Kevin Feige's boss at the time was uh, a man called Ike Perlmutter, and he was uh, Marvel Entertainment CEO, because at this time, Kevin Feige was head of Marvel Studios. And also, Favreau asked for a salary that was a little larger than his payday for Iron Man 2, and Ike Perlmutter was always known for being, um, well, cheap, really. And they also kind of butted heads whilst on production for Iron Man 2, so he was actually turned down, unfortunately. Upon being told no, he was actually quoted as saying, It's something that I'm being the executive producer on, so I'll definitely have an input and a say, but it's going to be so hard because I was so involved in creating the world of Iron Man. And Iron Man is very much a tech-based hero. And then with the Avengers, you're going to be introducing some supernatural aspects because of Thor. How do you mix the two of those? It works very well in the comic books, but it's going to take a lot of thoughtfulness to make that all work and not blow the reality that we've created. You can't help but feel for Favreau a little bit, but uh, he took it on the chin and he still said, as he did before, that if there were any more Iron Man movies, he'd still like to return in an acting capacity as Happy Hogan. So the director role eventually went to uh, Joss Whedon. He was the showrunner for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. And he previously helmed just one feature film before. Uh, That was called Serenity. And it was actually, it it was a major box office flop. But his choice of being the director kind of makes sense as well. I mean, as a Buffy fan anyway, because have you ever seen Buffy, Colin? No, I haven't, mate. And Rob, you've seen Buffy, haven't you? Yeah, but it was a long time ago. I don't think I watched it in order either. It's one of your favourites, isn't it, George? Sorry? It's one of your favourites, isn't it? Um, Yeah, big, big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Every season of Buffy had what they called a big bad to defeat. It It would be someone that would be the season's main villain. And every single season would focus on our core group of characters coming together uh, to eventually, by the time the season finale rolled around, to be a team and put aside their usually many differences to then defeat the big bad. So take season three, for example. The team that defeated the big bad comprised of a vampire slayer, um, a teacher's pet from high school, a high school dropout, uh, a cheerleader, a good vampire with a soul, 
a werewolf and, and so much more. And it sounds utterly ridiculous on paper. But as does a billionaire, a big green rage monster, a soldier from the 1940s and a god of thunder all coming together to take on aliens invading New York. It's just Whedon's approach to telling these stories with a straight face is all what, to me, makes them all a success, really. So Whedon, as well as directing, he also asked if he could write the script on his own. And as always, there was loads of different drafts. Uh, The only things he was told by Kevin Feige and Marvel was that the film obviously had to feature all of the heroes we'd previously seen, and the villain was to be Loki. Everything else was up to him. In his first draft, he was unsure that one villain would be strong enough to take on the, the Avengers, so he ended up creating a second villain, that being Ezekiel Stain, the son of Obadiah Stain from Iron Man 1. And upon handing this script into Kevin Feige, his response is quite well known at Marvel Studios. Uh, he got to the end of the script and he looked at his fellow producer, uh, Louis uh, Desposito, and said, Louis, it's all wrong. But look how good it is. This is really good wrong. So Joss Whedon actually said that was a massive ego boost and didn't look at that as a negative at all. They liked the script, but it just wasn't what they wanted. So they, they, sent, him, they sent him back, really. Now, as we know, the, all the cast were going to return for the Avengers, apart from Edward Norton, who Marvel quite publicly parted ways with. Now, at Comic-Con which is like the nirvana for movie geeks all around the world. Kevin Feige held a presentation on Marvel films and brought out all of the cast of the Avengers at the end. And just when like you thought the noise in that room couldn't get any crazier, Feige then said, and introducing as Bruce Banner, otherwise known as the Hulk, Mark Ruffalo. And the roof just pretty much blew off. So we actually did mention it in our Incredible Hulk episode that he was in the running to play the Hulk. Um but got pipped to the post by Edward Norton. So he was counting his lucky stars that he got offered the role um, and starting that role in the Avengers as well. Now, I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but it's good news to repeat, I guess. Production was fairly drama-free. It finished on time and within budget, considering it was a massive budget anyway. And all stories from behind the scenes were positive. So just before the Avengers was released, the highest grossing opening weekend of all time was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. It was in the Guinness Book of World Records uh, for having a $169.2 million opening weekend. It took that much money on its opening Friday, Saturday and Sunday, its first three days. So upon releasing Avengers, Marvel had their eyes on that ballpark figure. At least getting close to that number would mean they were on track to having one hell of a franchise on their hands. So upon its opening weekend, it took $207 million, just obliterating the record previously held by uh, Harry Potter. It also became the fastest movie ever to reach 100 million, 150 million and 200 million. If there was a record to smash, it did it. Uh, So by the time it left cinemas, it was the third highest grossing film of all time. Harry Potter and the audacity of this bitch. I know, (laughs) I know. Um, So it actually ended, by the time it left cinemas, it had had a box office of $1.5 billion. (laughs) today though as it stands it is now the eighth highest grossing film of all time because let's just say we have some other films to come as well so critically it was a success reviews were full of praise for pretty much all aspects of the film and when fans were sort of asked who their favorite characters were 
it surprised everyone. The responses weren't Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. The main response was the Hulk, really. Uh, Hulk merchandise just sold out worldwide. So not only did this film bring together all of our loved superheroes in one big film, it also kind of reinvented the Hulk with a successful recast and just created a new fan favourite as well. Which brings me to the question I've been wanting to ask, I think, since episode one. Colin, Mm. what did you think? Man, they smashed this one out of the park. (laughs) (laughs) I got goosebumps. I've got goosebumps. They absolutely raised the bar on this one by so many levels. From every (laughs) every aspect, man. I had so much fun watching this today. (sighs) Just just as a disclosure, um, I did actually watch this only a a number of hours ago. We normally... We normally do the podcast on a different day this week, but we've rescheduled it. And um, I don't know how that's going to work because it's, it's obviously fresh, but I haven't had a load of time to just sort of... Hasn't and, digested and, Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, it's, a, it's not the shortest film in the world and there was a lot going on. Um, so yes. you, might, you might have to bear with me if you ask me a question and I go, shit, you're going to have to remind me a bit more about that. But no, nah, man, <laughs> I, I, I had a lot of fun with this. I really, really loved it, yeah. That's what matters to me. Um, and yourself, Rob, initial, initial thoughts on the rewatch? Um... Well, listeners of the show will be unsurprised to hear that I watched this slightly differently than maybe how you and Colin might have watched it. Let's hear it. (laughs) Audio commentary facts. So, when asked what he would do with the project if given free reign, Joss Whedon reportedly said what i would do would be to make things as awful as possible for everybody involved he means the characters when he says this in the commentary but then the next sentence is i'm referring to the characters and i'm referring to the crew so i'm not going to do any more audio commentary facts (laughs) for the rest of this episode (laughs) i don't really want to hear what mr whedon has to say yeah that's very true yeah problematic um twat just, just a, a, what one thing on going back to the bit you were talking about a minute ago. How normal is it to give a big sort of Hollywood massive budgeted film just to one single writer and saying go with it? Is that normal, or is it normally there's teams and rooms of people on it and stuff like that? Usually, it comes from lots of previous drafts. So. Okay. Um, there'll be like, um, for example, um, I know you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. I know you can't really remember it. Oh, but, that's um, one of the ones. That's oh, there you, MCU, yeah, isn't there it? you yeah. go. Um, <laughs> so they actually, there was a script for Guardians of the Galaxy wrote all the way back in 2007, mm. before Iron Man. That came out in 2008. And there are aspects of that that was still taken on by James Gunn when he wrote Guardians of the Galaxy. So that original writer, she still got a credit. So sometimes it's all lots of handed down from yeah. lots of different people. Um, it's, quite, it's quite ballsy, though, isn't it, just to give it to one person? It's I very, mean, like, especially when he's only done one movie beforehand. I mean, yeah, that's... it's like an independent film studio. It's weird. It's, mm. um, what was it what Jeff Bridges said in Iron Man One? He said it was like making a the biggest budget student film ever mm-hmm. because of that independent kind of attitude. But the yeah. weird thing about Joss Whedon is that he. He'd actually written a lot in Marvel Comics. Like, he'd written some quite successful runs in X-Men and things like that. So yeah, I think right. that gave him a lot of kudos that... Oh, okay, right, what, that makes a bit more he, sense, like, yeah. He'd know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you're right, it is mad that... It just seems like given... a lot of... Uh, 
well, I mean, for him, obviously, a lot of pressure. But at the same time, it's like if if they had come back with, I guess, if the script had come back and it was terrible, they would have just said in a bit and got someone else in. But exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, you'll notice later on in other films when they, when it comes up in the opening credits, um, written by, mm. there's usually about sometimes two, three, four names on there. Yeah. It's very rare that there's one name on there, but um, it happens sometimes within the MCU for sure. So, in terms for me and the Avengers, I love this film so much. It's pure popcorn it's pure entertainment and it's also a near miracle so like i said when comparing this to buffy you know on paper this this shouldn't work because as johnny fav said previously as well look at tony stark all of his films very tech based or based in science and then watch thor you know look at the the extravagance of the asgard scenes the way language is even used in the script he can also fly and he has a damn, you know, magic hammer. So how on earth was this <laughs> going to be possible to get all these characters to share the film together and not have it feel a bit silly? But they did it. And I know we'll get into it in a minute, but, you know, every single time, once we get to that moment in the Battle of New York where all of our heroes are standing in a circle waiting for the, like, you know, the enemy to approach, the music swelling with Alan Silvestri's, like, incredible score... And that circle consists of Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, the Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye. And I, no matter how many times I see this film, I just sit there. I get goosebumps and just think to myself, they did it. Like, it's they got to that point. It's mad. I think this was the viewing in which I figured out what makes this work over other team-up films that have happened. We'll get to it. But, like, I think of saying, like, what this watch did, I think that's... I suddenly had this like eureka moment of oh okay, mm-hmm. I get why this works now. Like it, it suddenly like I've always just been like it works. I'm happy that it works. It's not questioning it too much. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's all started to make a bit more sense today. Mm. How many times have you guys seen this one? Oh jeez, I mean um, at least ten. This might be the oh, tenth or something Christ. like that. <laughs> I saw it multiple times at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Same. Um, yeah, I've watched it a lot. Wow. Come on, it came out what, like nine years ago or something like that so yeah. I'm, I'm gonna watch it a lot so let's get our teeth into this bad boy and let's do a deep dive because i think this is going to be quite the deep dive mm. so the asgardian loki encounters the other the leader of an extraterrestrial race known as the Chitawi. in exchange for retrieving the tesseract a powerful energy source of unknown potential The other promises Loki an army with which he can subjugate Earth. Nick Fury, director of the espionage agency S.H.I.E.L.D. and his lieutenant agent Maria Hill, arrive at a remote research facility during an evacuation, where physicist Dr. Eric Selvig is leading a research team experimenting on the Tesseract. Now, agent Phil Coulson says that the object has begun radiating an unusual form of energy. The Tesseract suddenly activates and opens a wormhole, allowing Loki to reach Earth. Loki takes the Tesseract and uses his scepter to enslave Selvig and a few other agents, including Clint Barton, to aid him in his getaway. Now, when I say I love, love this film, the opening has never felt entirely thrilling for me. It has what I would call a TV feel to it. Uh, There's something about the scale that doesn't feel overly massive to me. I think, you know, maybe to in order to justify Nick Fury needing to call the Avengers, it doesn't feel like a world-ending event to me yet, it, but it obviously does at the end. But, uh, you know, 
But in this sequence, I will say I was so happy for Colin because obviously you said uh, Loki was your high point in Thor. Yeah, man. And you didn't believe for one second that he was dead. And you were hoping to see him return. So how happy were you to see him come through that wormhole at the beginning? I was extremely happy. And also, I mean, I thought that visually it looked it looked amazing at this point. Like the there was that, that wide shot of the actual Tesseract opening up the portal and everything. Mm-hmm. It just, you could tell that the budgets must have gone through the roof for this one because all of the gripes and stuff I had in the previous ones about things looking like, you know, sort of video gamey and stuff like that. Yeah. That was all gone, man. Like, There's some sequences in this film in terms of the special effects and the CGI that's almost photorealistic. Mm. Mm. It's mad. They shot that in NASA, apparently. The uh, Wow. That opening sequence. Hmm. That's why the roof is like so huge. I like the addition of Loki having that like spear, whatever it is. His scepter, that was yeah. nice. He didn't have that in Thor, did he? Don't think so. No, I think not. No. Uh, at least I don't remember him having it. So that was a nice sort of... Hmm. because you know obviously Thor's got his hammer so it's nice for Loki to have <laughs> yeah another weapon, weapon as well. of choice as <laughs> yeah. well so Rob how does this work as an opening scene for you um I'm with you it does feel a bit tv-ish but then it's sort of it's odd because where we left the Tesseract it was in an underground bunker and it's like just the idea that an Asgardian has has it needs to be you know confirmation of a threat enough i guess mm-hmm. and i do i gotta admit when i saw it in the cinema and it did that whole you know what do we do moment with colson and it comes up with the the avengers. avengers or in the uk avengers assemble yeah i mean it was that that was a, a good moment mm-hmm. but yeah the sort of chase and the opening bit poor hawkeye yeah even Jeremy Renner has gone on record to say that Avengers wasn't the best experience for him because he finished reading the script and was like, well, for half of this film, I'm <laughs> being some sort of blue-eyed yeah. guy who's like a, a, some sort of sheep to Loki. Mm. But he gets his shi- he gets his moments to shine towards the end, that's for yeah. sure. Um, so in response to the attack, as Rob mentioned, Fury reactivates the Avengers initiative. Agent Natasha Romanoff heads to Kolkata to recruit Dr. Bruce Banner to help trace the Tesseract through its gamma radiation emissions. Coulson visits Tony Stark to have him check Selvig's research, and Fury approaches Steve Rogers with an assignment to retrieve the Tesseract. Now, that was a short description, but I I think we're going to be on this section for a little bit. So shall we Mm -hmm. start with uh, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner? Colin, a, a decent recast? Do you miss Edward Norton? Man, I wish, I wish that we had a Mark Ruffalo Hulk standalone movie. <laughs> because n- n- not even throwing any shade at Edward Norton or whatever, it's just mm. what you said at the beginning, which was that it was you know very well received from critics and fans and also their favourite character, mm. a lot of them was, was the Hulk. It was mine, man. <laughs> Yes. And and, I, and and literally a few films ago, I was like, I don't care about the Hulk and all yeah. that kind of shit. But I just don't find him interesting. I don't think yeah, I like but, the Hulk. But man, yeah. I mean, I I've, I thought Mark, Mark Ruffalo was great. And I, I picked up on a few little character traits that I don't know if he put them in himself or whatever it was scripted, but like he didn't make eye contact with a lot of the characters throughout the film. He's, and like, he's, a, he's a ball of anxiety. Yeah, and I felt like that was just a great... like insight into the life that he's been living previously yeah. up until this point and i just wish that there was a standalone film of his man because uh, yeah 
but you know, it, I guess he's in however many other Hulk, Avengers there are. Yeah, exactly. That. Yeah, it's not. We're not done with the Hulk. But even just him as the Hulk, like looking slightly still like Mark Ruffalo, and mm. you know, like you, it, it just worked way better. Well, really for this it. film, um, it, with the Incredible Hulk, the Edward Norton one, um, mm. that was all done just on a computer. For mm. this one, it was all motion capture. So, for example, um, whenever we see the Hulk, most of the time, it is literally Mark Ruffalo on set wearing this massive suit with the Hulk's face above his head to match the height. Oh, really? And he is, he's yeah, he's that's him on set. He did all the motion capture, did all the movements. So, uh, yeah, he went full on for this as well. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm still obsessed with the Gruffalo. Yeah, how good is that? Like, even in that first scene... He's about to cross the road, and those military trucks go by, and he just turns mm-hmm. turns his back to him, like he's so anxious and worried about um, the authorities. And there's another little moment in that scene with Black Widow, where um, she says, "Like, I would have thought you wouldn't want to break your streak of not hulking out." Mm. And there's just a little cut in the scene, which I've read. I'm not going to do the trumpets. I've 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 heard that, that this wasn't in the script at all. The little moment that he says, "Well, I don't always get everything I want," and he pokes at the baby's cot as he says it, and that was Mark Ruffalo's choice in the scene to be like mm-hmm. that line. Out of everything, he's like, "That's what I'm going to do." Like that's what he wants. He wants norm- normality. Mm. He wants family. He wants mm. all this stuff, but he can't have that because the Hulk. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's so good. Um, so he was one of my favourite actors, you know, before the Avengers. Um, he's in my second favourite film of all time, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Such a Ruffalo hipster. I am, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was a I massive liked fan before, before he was the Hulk. The Hulk. <laughs> um, he's uh, in, you know, Zodiac, Brothers Bloom, The Kids Are All Right, Shutter Island, all of these before being cast as Bruce Banner. So I went nuts when he was cast as well. So maybe I'm a little biased, but to me, he is Bruce Banner from now on. And like we said, Colin, he's like he's full of this nervous energy, and he does. He brings a physicality to the role as Bruce Banner, not just as a Hulk. He's always wringing his hands together or shifting his eyes or not making eye contact for it. Uh, so maybe he's always like looking for an exit, knowing he could possibly transform at any point or anything like that. And yeah, the scene where he's approached by Natasha Romanoff, I think is great. I love the script in this scene. Mm. So everything from him realising, you know, they've lured you away from the edge of the city to Mm. him thinking they only want shield only want him to swallow the tesseract instead of actually wanting him to track it um to that moment of him pretending to get angry to see how romanoff reacts and it's worth repeat it's worth saying here that scarlett johansson is just as good in this scene as well so let's continue on with the cast. So um, Colin, Scarlett Johansson, uh, a good addition to the cast, um, you know, unnecessary, an, an improvement from Iron Man 2 at least? Definitely an improvement because, mm. I mean, she didn't really get to flesh out much of the character in Iron Man 2 no. from memory. Um, I was a little bit on the first bit when she with the whole phone conversation thing when she's, that was a little bit like, eh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Her sort of uh, the the little fight scene there was quite quite cool. The choreography was really good. There's for some good stunt work in that scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought that um, a really good addition. And and this this was the first time you actually find out that it's Black Widow. I'm sure everyone already knew about that, but it's mm. the first time she's referred to as Black Widow because I think she's only referred to as Natasha. I think in, so too uh, in yeah. Iron Man. But yeah, yeah, I thought the um, 
the interactions between her and um, Hawkeye later on in the movie were really nice as well. Yeah, and between them, it's, it's you kind of think, oh, is there a romance angle between them? But I quite like they're just friends. Mm. That was a nice aspect for me. Yeah, um, just been through a lot. Yeah, so uh, Rob, um, Scarlett Johansson in, in The Avengers. I mean, she's great. I mean, you see, they kind of do two versions of that opening scene with her sort of, you think that she's the one that's in peril when she's the one that's got the drop on everyone and she's in complete control of the situation. And I like that aspect of it. There was an element that I was a bit sort of... Okay, it's uh, a... I think it's a director's trait to sort of have those sort of women who look like they're in a certain situation and then aren't in a certain situation. And I thought, is this a Joss Whedon trope? Even at the time when I first saw it, like, is he writing her as Buffy kind of thing? Mm-hmm. But as that quickly fades away, like, yeah, like Colin said, she's given a lot more to do. And she does it in such a sort of slick way that isn't, like, showy. Like, oh, this is how she's doing it. It's like you yeah. almost have to keep up. And it, she does it on a on a sort of drop of a hat. Yeah, I think there's a beautiful setup as well to um, Banner transforming into the Hulk in this scene, too. Because, you know, Natasha Romanoff is the world's greatest spy. You know, afraid of no man and can always get herself out of situations, no matter how dangerous. But it's that moment when Banner does pretend to be angry that there's this incredible moment where she sort of lets the facade slip a little bit. She's Mm. absolutely terrified in that moment. Uh, They're very, they're very careful of making sure the camera notices that she shakes a little bit. Um, And it's that, that makes the eventual transformation scene later on in the film so much more effective because now she's trapped to him before he does eventually uh, transform back into the Hulk. Now, um, as mentioned as well, Fury visits Steve Rogers Whereas Coulson visits Stark. Now, um, I know it's a little simple and maybe a little cheesy, but I love the transition between these scenes as well. It really, I picked up on it in this time. So the line we hear before we cut to Steve Rogers uh, in the gym with his punching bag, um, that line is, this war will be won with soldiers. Immediately cut to Steve Rogers. And then there's a discussion about the Tesseract, and uh, Steve Rogers then says, you should have left it in the ocean. Cut to the ocean and we see mm-hmm. stark you know finishing yeah. up the, the power for stark tower uh it's really simple but um effective writing i think it keeps it going at such a pace doesn't it? each scene kind of mm-hmm. leads naturally into the next one mm-hmm. and you're not sort of waiting for these like title card setups of each character it's just sort of like okay we need soldiers bang right we're back with like yeah. cap and that whole sequence of him punching the punch bags which, as a just, straight man, is a very strange scene to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does things. That's for it sure. does things. <laughs> but it's, it's also just the the the, um, the way it's shot as well. The camera does the comic timing of that camera where he sort of knocks that one off the wall and then you sort of unveil there's a row of them mm-hmm. and he just calmly picks another one up and carries on. It's just really nice introduction to where he is after we left him in his film. Yeah, for sure. So, in Stuttgart, uh, Germany, Barton steals Iridium, needed to stabilise the Tesseract's power, whilst Loki causes a distraction, leading to a brief confrontation with Rogers, Stark, and Romanoff that ends with Loki's surrender. Now, while Loki gets escorted to S.H.I.E.L.D., his adoptive brother, Thor, 
arrives and frees him, hoping to convince him to abandon his plan and return to Asgard. So, Rob, how did you find a scene in Germany? Um, at the mainly like the museum and stuff like that. It's a, it's a little action light, but I think Tom Hiddleston as Loki is incredible in this scene. I think. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my favourite films as a kid was the Christopher Reeve Superman films. Both the first... I mean, I love the second one as well. Growing up, sort of, could see the problems with it. But mm. Terrence Stamper's Zod doing his whole, like, kneel before Zod. When yeah. when Loki walks out, he's all sort of full of the showboating and, like, kneel before, before me and all this sort of thing. It's just so good. And, like, I know it's a little cheesy and a little on the nose, but that bit where the... The old boy is like, no, I'm not kneeling to you. And I will not have you talk cheese about this scene at all, Rob. I love that moment. <laughs> it's, it's not oh, cheese is the wrong is the wrong word. I think it's just one of those sort of moments where it's like it feels. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. I love it. <laughs> okay, on the nose, maybe. Uh, yeah, I would say it's on the nose. I wouldn't mm. say it's. But it's just like, okay, so you're in Germany and then, okay, I don't, I don't know. It's like the scene was sort of, it feels like it was set in Germany for that line. Rather I can than, see what you mean now. By setting it in Germany and having them sort of indications on that line, it, it, it's saying something. Which is, yeah, on the nose, we'll stick with that. I also like as well that when Cap arrives, he says, like, last time I was in Germany, um, of a man start, thinking he was above everyone else, mm-hmm. but like, the majority of the people are still kneeling in that scene, so Cap still likes to the bottom. So, yeah. uh, Colin, uh, does Loki at this point still live up to the hype that you'd set yourself up for, really? Were you were you still happy to see Loki as a villain by this point? Most definitely, yeah. I re- I liked them. Um, I think the beginning of that scene was... Was it when he was getting the eye? Yeah. When, yeah, that, that was really cool. And mm-hmm. also, I think... I think at the f- maybe the first sort of minute or so of that scene, you were just hearing the score in the background. You didn't have any. It was there was a like a there was a small orchestra in the sort of museum playing, and it, that was just the music. Yeah, and yeah, I thought like I mean to be honest, at this point of the film, and actually a lot of the points throughout the film, I don't know what this says about me, but I agree with a lot of the shit that Loki was coming out with, and I was you know I was <laughs> like. This guy makes some good points, you know. Even if he is destroy- trying to destroy the world, he's coming up with some pretty good points at the moment. Let's like, oh, down, you daft old man. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one of my favourite moments is actually, and Rob's already mentioned it, it's during this Germany sequence. It's when the old man stands up to Loki. Oh, I, yeah? I love that bit. When he makes, you know, everyone kneel. And um, he says he won't kneel to men like him. And Loki's response are, there are no men like me. And the perfect yeah. response is, there are always men like you. Oh, that's, come on. Yeah. It's really it's good. good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and also, so, did, did ACDC really need to come on when Iron Man pops in? <laughs> that's and literally like, I, can't yeah, I can't hear ACDC without thinking of you now. Jesus Christ, man. I was just shaking my head as soon as I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to read my next note here, word for word. Go on. <laughs> It's at the end of the Germany sequence that we finally get to see some of our heroes share a screen together. As Tony comes out to aid Steve and Natasha, he makes his entrance by playing Colin's favourite band, <laughs> ACDC. <laughs> uh, I don't even, I don't even like dislike them. It's just that seems too on the nose for me. Right, I don't yeah. know why. It's just like classic rock band. It's just like mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Anyway, I am um, talking of Tony. <laughs> 
because we kind of uh, skipped over his introductory thing where he's now with Pepper. Oh, yeah. Do you think that works better now? Does it feel a bit more natural? It felt way more natural. I actually Mm. think that if they didn't have that kiss at the end of Iron Man 2 and it just flipped to what you see here, I think that would have been a better... More natural you know, like, progression. Well, it's just like clear. Yeah, it would be like a oh shit, they're together now. Like a bit more of like a cemented on it rather than just yeah. being tacked on at the end of that movie just for the sake of it. Because that mm. still that still rubs me up the wrong way. Um, but yeah, I thought. I mean, Pepper Pepper wasn't in it a whole lot after that. But yeah, her 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 time in it was cool. There's a really nice moment I like where he's sort of um, saying to her like she's going to go to DC, and um, he's like, oh well. She's like, well, you've got homework. He's like, what if I didn't? And she says, you mean when you finished? And he gives her this look as if to say, like, th- th- it's the fact that he wants that more than he wants the showboating and the hero. You know, he'd rather mm-hmm. be doing what they're doing that evening, mm-hmm. having a drink, celebrating, setting up this new thing, than mm-hmm. doing all this heroic stuff. Which is a little unlike Tony from what we've seen. Yeah, so it's far. a nice little snippet of something different, like a change. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and it's, I like that they don't do these sort of like whiplash style, no pun intended, um, <laughs> sort of tonal changes with him. It's all very like tiny little moments that build, you know, to say like at the end of this film, it be, it builds to something more. Yeah. But it doesn't seem so much that you're like, oh, okay, so he's a completely different person than he was before. He's still Tony. Still feels natural, yeah. And plus, it's got the great line of uh, when um, Coulson turns up in the lift, and um, Pepper goes, "Phil," and he <laughs> says, um, "His name is Agent." Yeah. <laughs> I really Correct. liked his character throughout this as well, Agent Coulson. Yeah, I mean, Coulson. He's very much in the background for most of the uh, the first five films we've seen, and this mm-hmm. time they were like, "No, we're going to make him like." We were saying about how, um, like, what makes this all work together and all the madness of it all. It's because all of the films have had Coulson, all the characters, our chief characters have got Coulson as a link. Coulson's a fanboy of Cap. Mm. He dealt with Thor and that whole situation. It was like his project. And he's dealt with Tony, like he's in the first Iron Man film. So even if you take them characters and you throw arguments and split them as far apart as possible, they've still got that one connecting thread together. And I think that's what, makes it work even though he's an Asgardian Thor still will agree with Tony and Cap that Coulson is a good man so I think that's what makes it work yeah and and the scene when um, it's Coulson isn't it yeah Yeah. when he meets uh, Captain America in that sort of little ship or whatever it is Mm -hmm. in the (laughs) the plane he's a Stephen Hawking that's funny man yeah like I thought he had some really funny dialogue throughout this and I felt like again a lot of my gripes in the previous movies with the humour was a little bit too slapstick and almost sitcom in places mm-hmm. and that, that kind of went for me in this one yeah I felt like the dialogue was or at least the comedic dialogue was much more to my taste Avengers one, is say. a really really funny film yeah it yeah. really really is so and of it's course good body know, language as well there's a bit where Cap leans up on the ship like puts his arm up and Coulson does the exact same thing while he's chatting to him. <laughs> Just these little moments. It's um, yeah. yeah, it's very. It's got the wit in spades. Mm. So of course, and continuing on with this sequence, it's not much uh, longer before we get another one of our heroes into the fold, um, and it's Thor as he arrives. As we, as we said, uh, he arrives to take Loki, and then we have an action set piece between. Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America. And of course, it makes complete sense story-wise to have these guys fight each other before a team is created. Um, 
So what did we think of this sort of mini little fight scene in the forest, Rob? It's pretty damn good, isn't it? Hmm. There's, there's moments where it's quite dark and almost too dark to see what's going on at places. There's some real nice moments. I think the bits where it does shine are the just seeing them interact. Like, mm. how does Tony react to Thor? He says, calls him Shakespeare in the park. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does the whole, does mother know if you wear if her drapes? Things. <laughs> all, the, all that stuff's great, and watching them bounce off each other. But it's the first time we see how their combos are going to work. So if Thor hits him with thunder, with lightning rather, he's going to supercharge his suit. Mm. And if he hits Cap's shield, it's going to decimate the area. And it's sort of planting that seed early on. Okay, right, so if you combine that with that, you'll get this. And the film's really good at doing that at different mm. points. There's a bit where he headbutts uh, um, oh, Tony headbutts him, and then Thor headbutts him back in this little dent on the Iron Man helmet, which is just <laughs> ni- real nice little moments. Great. Uh, Colin? Yeah, I mean... Not a whole lot more to add, really. I thought it was just a nice back and forth of seeing, or Thorf, should I say, of seeing. Um... Oh no! Rob, <laughs> no, no, we won't Rob, do that Rob, again. We won't do that again. <laughs> I thought it he was likes nice... the Avengers, and he said Thorf. <laughs> I'm it so was, happy. Uh, it was a nice back and forth of uh, seeing their abilities, and and yeah, like like um, yeah, just seeing how they've interacted with each other, and and the. I, I did. I did laugh at the Shakespeare line as well because I kind of that was one of the things I didn't really like about Thor's yeah. character is it was a bit too theatrical. So, uh, and I feel, I feel that throughout the film actually the dialogue when they're digging at each other and like they're kind of hitting on points that I can imagine people that didn't like the movies were probably talking mm. about like you know like like negative critics were saying oh Iron Man's too this bloody blah, blah mm-hmm. too that and it almost felt like they were just like should we just lean into this and you know. And and I like that a lot. Yeah, some of the scenes when they start butting heads. I mean, we'll get into it later. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Like, some of the dialogue like is spot on. I love when Stark turns to Steve and says, "Everything special about you came out of a bottle." That is one stonker of a line. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But in terms of this fight scene, uh, Rob, you've pretty much got exactly what I've got noted down as well. I've said, you know. The fight scene is okay, um, but to me, that's more. it's more about the dialogue and the little small creative beats within this fight scene as well. So, you know, any doubts that we had as to whether scenes were going to work that contained, for example, Thor and Tony Stark, just vanish the second Stark walks up to him and says, Does mother, doth mother know you wear her drapes? Because um, I remember sitting in the cinema at that point, and as soon as Stark said those lines, I just felt, I just relaxed a little bit. I was like, oh, it's going to work. Um, and yeah... It, in terms of like the little beats I mentioned, I love when Thor, yeah, exactly as you said, he uses thunder to try and strike down Stark, but only then to power up the suit by 400%. Mm. And then obviously it ends the scene by answering every comic book nerd's question. What would win in a fight? Thor's hammer Mjolnir or Steve Rogers' shield? And um, the way, because it's made out of the world's strongest metal, and the answer is, is neither, of course. Yeah. <laughs> there was a scene as well of characters meeting beforehand that I... I, it was when I felt comfortable because being being a massive Hulk fan, I'm really enjoying Chris Evans's Cap when they meet on the heli carrier, and um, you know he he introduces himself to Banner and he says like oh, I hear you're you know a gifted mind or something like that along those lines, and Banner's first instinct he says is that the only thing you've heard about me and Steve says it's the only thing that matters and it's like everything oh, you need to know about Steve Rogers in that line. But then what I found interesting watching it this time is the first thing that Tony says to Banner 
is yeah he he says i love what you did in this field and this field and this field but i'm also a big fan of how you turn into a rage monster <laughs> so he like almost accepts all of him mm-hmm. which is just interesting the two different ways they look at it like mm. he almost sees it as an insult to say yeah i i can see the he sees the monster as a curse, whereas Tony sees it as, yeah, mate, go for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right, so this next section is massive. Uh, this could be <laughs> a long episode. I know we've said it. So um, after a confrontation with Stark and Rogers, uh, Thor agrees to take Loki to S.H.I.E.L.D.'s flying aircraft carrier, the helicarrier. Now, upon arrival, Loki gets imprisoned, whilst Banner and Stark attempt to locate the Tesseract. The Avengers actually end up becoming divided, both over how to approach Loki and the revelation that S.H.I.E.L.D. plans to harness the Tesseract to develop weapons as a deterrent against hostile extraterrestrials. As the group argues, Barton and Loki's other possessed agents then attack the helicarrier, disabling one of its engines in flight and causing Banner to transform into the Hulk. Stark and Rogers work to restart the damaged engine and Thor attempts to stop the Hulk's rampage. Romanoff reluctantly fights Barton and knocks him unconscious, breaking Loki's mind control. Loki then escapes after killing Coulson and ejecting Thor from the airship whilst the Hulk falls to the ground after attacking a fighter jet. I mean, where do we start? Um, So this whole next sequence is just packed full of brilliance. Um, You know, to the scene, to the great scene where all of our heroes are in the same room as each other, and pretty much every other line is gold. I've the, like you've got the first one where they first meet um, around in the actual helicarrier, um, and then but you've also got the scene in the in the the lab as well. Like I mentioned, where Steve gets the horrible line from Stark saying everything special about you came out of a bottle. Um, we've got the wonderful moments of Banner and Stark creating a bromance. Um, Black Widow getting the truth out of Loki in regards to his motives by sort of manipulating the God of Mischief himself. To the the uh, wonderful you know Hulk transformation sequence before then he fights for and the death of Agent Coulson it's just packed so Colin how was all of this working for you at this point because I can guarantee you now that 2011 George was sitting in a cinema thinking he died and gone to heaven <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I mean I, I I was enjoying it for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know the timings of the film. I don't know what time we would have been at at this point in the movie, but it was all just absolutely steaming by. Like, you know, and you know that you know you're enjoying a film when you're not even thinking how long's left mm-hmm. or how long has it been on for or checking your phone or I need to go for a piss or whatever. Like, yeah, and a couple of things about just the general being in that whole heli. Was it a heli? Heli carrier. Heli carrier. It was good for me because it was one of the first times where you kind of saw the shield how vast and big it was, the mm-hmm. amount of employees you, that they have on there and all of the... I mean, you probably would have seen it already before this point in the movie, but I just remember when you first see that on the on that helicarrier, it's like... No, it makes sense because from... You're very right because at that point, S.H.I.E.L.D. is almost Nick Fury, Romanoff and a couple of... And Coulson, maybe a couple of other people in the background. Yeah, yeah. So I think the only gripe I had with this film was probably... I'm just not very sold on Nick Fury's character as being the director of this giant agency. It doesn't it doesn't come across even everything just down to his dialogue and the way he kind of carries mm. himself. To me, it doesn't that's the only thing if I had to sort of you know say something that mm. I wasn't quite into in this yeah. film, it would probably just be his side. And then also when you do see this giant 
all, all of the the employees and and the whole crews involved in that. And then you think this guy's the director of all of this. Mm. It just didn't. It was a little bit. Um, I like the um, the man playing Gallagher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> Which thought no one noticed. Correct me if I'm wrong. Robert Downey Jr. improv that line on set and said that man's playing Gallagher. Um, he thought we wouldn't notice. And then in the reshoots, because <laughs> obviously all these films have the reshoots, they decided to put the insert of the guy playing Gallagher. Yeah. Mm. It's nice. There's so much good stuff. It's that, like, I, we could be here all day, but there's moments like, like you said, when they first all ran that table and you got Tony calling in point break. Um, <laughs> you've got Steve trying to keep up with all the science references. Is that you what happened? Thor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I understood that reference. Yeah. Um, and just, I love the moment where Thor's like, he may be, you know, he, Loki is of Asgard and he is my brother. And like, he's killed 80 people in the last two days. He's adopted. <laughs> <laughs> just so good. There's so much, um, each of them just like, it, it proves that he, Whedon knew how to write each of these characters. Like mm-hmm. he's great at writing. It's quite rare that you get someone who's able to, write those individual characters so strong yeah. well at this point anyway yeah I, I yeah when they're all in that room together and they're kind of all you know having a bit of a back and forth back and forth and um, <laughs> no. t- taking the I'm piss so out of each, <laughs> taking so, the piss so out of each other and stuff yeah it kind of it was done really well it almost felt like this weird like dysfunctional family environment and then the minute shit hit the fan and there was i think was it the explosion happened mm-hmm. i can't remember what the line was but a couple of the dudes they 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 kept saying a, a line of dialogue to each other but it was more in like an aggressive fashion so it's um stark no rogers says to stark he wants to fight him basically he says put on the suit that's it and yeah. he's like yeah well i'll do this and he's like no no put on the suit and the second the explosion hits he's like put on the suit and and and, and an iron man agrees yeah yeah so that was kind of cool because it just showed you it, you know it is a bit like a dysfunctional family like you can all be at each other's necks and stuff but yep. it, when you really need to you know come through and, yeah. and help each other out it's like forget all that shit we've got work to do you yep. know? i really like that that was a ni- that was nicely done completely agree i'm so surprised they got away with the loki bit where he calls black widow a mewling quim so yeah, and that's, that confused a lot of people because we we had to sort of read up on it once it came out. And a mewling quim, and he as he's screaming it at Natasha, he's almost spitting as he says it. Hmm. It's a quim is another word for a vagina, and like yeah. cry a mewling is like crying. And what a line to put in essentially a Disney film, screaming <laughs> at a woman calling her a mewling quim. It's it's out there. They just knew no one would understand yeah. what it was. They, yeah, they I think they, that's how they he got couldn't away be with shout, it. He couldn't be screaming what it really was. Yeah. Um, so, but it's just that moment where she's like, "Oh, so banners, banners your play. That's mm-hmm. what you're doing." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just that moment of being like, "I got you." Yeah. But that scene, you know, we talk about Dutch angles in Thor. That scene where they're arguing and the camera just starts rotating slightly as mm-hmm. the you know the scepter is mm-hmm. sort of looming in the background. Yeah, like that's how it should be done. I feel because by the end of that scene, you you know something's not right, and they're all a bit heightened. They're not mm-hmm. as angry as maybe they would be if that wasn't in the room. It's kind of the impression you get. Yeah, but there's so much great stuff. There's a moment like we were saying about they got away with mewling Quim, but there's also the moment where Banner says, "Yeah, I got low, and I stuck a, I put a bullet in my mouth, yeah. and the other guy spat it out." Yeah, holy! Obviously, it's a reference to the scene they didn't do in Incredible Hulk, but Mm. like 
that is that's some dark, dark. shit, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and the, Ruffalo the love sells the scene, wasn't it? it. Yeah, mm. yeah, like the shame when he says, "I got low." And I thought, yeah, so good. Oh, I also um, thought it was really nice to see Captain Americans, uh, Captain Americans, Captain mm. America's character, Steve. So um, like the Poundland one, <laughs> Captain American. <laughs> Uh, Stan Rogers. Um, Steve, yeah. Um, it was really interesting because while all the other characters were starting to see see between the lines and realise that, you know, they're here for more than, more reasons than they've initially been told, yeah. things like that, it really played up to the fact that Steve Rogers' character was just an all-out soldier because obviously, you know, when you're a soldier, it's you don't ask questions. It's you just listen to what your orders are, mm-hmm. and you you just don't, you know, you get you get on with what you're told. And it was it was cool the way they did that. It was like he was the only one that was sort of like so unaware of the fact that you can get kind of there's other reasons to why you have to do things. Yeah, always and offended it, when Banner and Stark yeah. start saying, "Come on, something's fishy." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's almost offended by it. Uh, another moment I absolutely love during this whole sequence as well. I'm, I'm actually obsessed with this moment. It's when Hulk jumps onto one of the fighter jets whilst it's in mid-flight, proceeds to smash the ever-living hell out of it. And just as the pilot hits the ejector seat, Hulk oh, yeah. catches him in mid-air yeah. and then throws him away. I mean, what a moment. Um, that guy has had the worst day ever. <laughs> yeah. Fury walks in. He's like, right, go on, get in the jet. Why? What do you want me to do? I want you to shoot at something. <laughs> Just don't ask what it is. Mm. If you see someone green, shoot at it. <laughs> All right, yeah, sure. <laughs> but he was thinking, All right, that's it. Yeah. As, I quit. as much as Fuck I'm this. loving that you get to see all these amazing moments for the first time, Colin, mm-hmm. it's also such a shame you didn't get to experience moments like that on the biggest screen possible. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Oh, it just, the sound, just the sound alone and yeah. the screen, everything here, yeah, man. The that moment that amazing. he turned into Hulk, I was just so happy with how they did it mm-hmm. because they managed to do that thing of having it in the shadows but also you saw it at the same time. There's a bit where she says something like, I swear on my life that we'll get out of this. Mm-hmm. And he just yells at her like, your life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not quite so Matt Berry. Your <laughs> life? <laughs> he, um, and just like the yelling and that whole sequence of her trying to escape him and him running down oh, the hallway that... behind her. Yeah. Like he really felt like of all the people in the Avengers that he could have d- turned into the Hulk in front of, she was the one that was most like... yeah she could have died from it and it's all from that wonderful setup at the beginning because we know how mm. terrified she is of him anyway mm. so good and um, so to continue fury uses colson's death to motivate the avengers into working as a team stark and rogers realize that for loki simply defeating them is not enough he needs to overpower them publicly to then confirm himself as the ruler of earth uh, loki uses the tesseract as and as and a wormhole generator selvig built to open a wormhole above Stark Tower to the Chitauri fleet in space, launching his invasion. Now, I know we mentioned it in maybe our criticisms of Iron Man 2, that it kind of, you know, it, that was the first scene, that was the first film where we properly got introduced to Nick Fury, who is supposedly the best spy in the world. As Stark puts it, he's the spy. I do like that Nick Fury gets to be a little bit naughty in this part because maybe manipulate is too strong a word, but he does trick our superheroes into feeling like they had something to 
well, avenge. Um, so the death of Coulson is already sad enough, but it's, the, it's that little guilt trip he puts on Steve Rogers as well. That's the cherry on top. You know, he says, um, oh, I guess he never got you to sign these. And he throws the, the trading cards at him and the, the blood sort of slides along the table with the cards. Only for then for us to find out that Coulson never actually had them on him when he died. Um, mm. That, to me, is a lovely little character moment. I think everyone in yeah. this film gets at least one great moment. To me, this is Nick Fury's. Um, mm. And that's saying something, considering later he gets to shoot a rocket launcher. He's completely manipulative though, in that moment, because you imagine, right? Imagine you walk into a room, I'm on the floor, just been impaled by some spear from a Asgardian... And you watch me die. You had the last word. Yeah, I have my last words with you. And you think, not, oh, I should probably mourn now. You think, hang on a second. Where did he keep those cards? <laughs> <laughs> He's got to have his keys on him somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. Hang on a minute. Maria's on the phone. What's going on? What's going on? Where's Colson? <laughs> Just two, two minutes. <laughs> going, through, going through his locker. Absolutely. Yeah. Manipulative. Yeah. So, Colin, we lost Agent Coulson. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, I'm not. This is going to come out wrong, but I'm glad it happened, just because it shows you that, you know, you watch some TV shows or some movies or whatever, and whenever someone gets in danger, you're like, they're not going to die, mm-hmm. you know, like they're seen later, they'd be fucking in a hospital bed alive or some shit, you know. Yeah. And and there was a part of me that thought, oh, he's not going to die, is he? And they're just going to, you know, find some way of saving him last minute. Mm-hmm. So, like from a you know, f- from a non-emotional point, I was kind of glad that they did let him die yeah. because it just it just shows you it's like they're, you know, they're not scared of killing off characters, mm-hmm. which I like in in films and TV. But yeah, it was, it was like, I mean, I, I grew quite fond of the guy throughout the film, so it was a little bit gutting at the same time. Yeah, you know? it's typical <laughs> that the, the film where he actually becomes a full-fledged character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's actually he has a bit of a love interest going on, and I, I don't really most people because some people miss it. He had a love story in this film, and it's all played in the background. So it's when he first um, meets Pepper at Stark Tower. He mentions, "Oh, he's seeing a, a cellist somewhere in for some in some part of the country." And then when um, him and Stark first enter the helicarrier lobby, Stark's saying, "Just just let me know a date. I'll give you a jet. You can fly out there and see her." And so they always throw in these little lines that um, Coulson's mm. actually got a lot going on outside of Shield, only for them to then kill him off. It's wow. quite cruel, really. <laughs> yeah, I didn't pick up on those things. Actually, it's very man. very small. It's all in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah, makes it even sadder. Really, it, it does. It does. Um, <laughs> a prequel. So, I've done a prequel. The prequel, no, yeah, Colson, no. There's a lot of films not. to go through. <laughs> the rom-com. Can you imagine seeing a young Colson. <laughs> yeah. And so here we go. The Battle of New York. Uh, Rogers, Stark, Romanoff, Barton and Thor rally in defence of New York City. Banner eventually arrives and transforms into the Hulk and together the Avengers battle the Jatawi whilst evacuating civilians. The Hulk beats Loki into submission. We will get on that bit in a moment. Um, (laughs) Romanoff makes her way to the generator, where Selvig, freed from Loki's mind control now, reveals that Loki's scepter can actually shut down the generator. Meanwhile, Fury's superiors from the World Security Council attempt to end the invasion by launching a nuclear missile at Midtown Manhattan. Stark intercepts the missile and takes it through the wormhole towards the Chitawi fleet. 
The missile detonates, destroying the Jatawi mothership and disabling their forces on Earth. Stark's suit loses power and he falls back through the wormhole just as Romanov closes it. Stark goes into free fall, but the Hulk saves him from crashing into the ground. So again, I have no clue where to start. So I'm going to hand mm. this over to Mr. Trot. Uh, Rob, the Battle <laughs> of New York, worth all the hype and build-up or a nonsensical, over-the-top action scene? I, I was so worried, because before it came out, people like, the last 45 minutes to an hour of this film is all battle. And I thought, oh, that's too far the other way. We have Whiplash that was like one minute, mm. and now we're going to... But it works. It really, really works. It's... I mean, from the moment you watch them all sort of getting back together, sort of suiting up, Mm -hmm. there's a moment where Banner's in that, he's fallen through the roof of that warehouse, and that guy's Harry Dean Stanton's like, you got a condition, all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, that it starts kicking off, and you just sort of think, oh, like, I can't wait for, I was sat there in the cinema going, I can't wait to see Hulk kick off. And what I like is that you get two very different Hulks through this film. You get a Hulk that's, been born out of Banner trying to resist him, and then you got a Hulk that's born out of Banner going, "Go on, mate, go for it." Yeah, um, and they're two very different sort of characters. Almost, it's it's strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. This is I've, what I've done basically because I know this is a different ep- sort of episode. I've written down a list of the little moments that I love. Rob, and I've done exactly go... the same. <laughs> <laughs> I have not done, I have not gone, oh, and this bit, then this character does Is this. Is this what happens I've, when you... <laughs> yeah, I've listed the moments I love in the battle. Yeah. yeah. I wish I had seen this film ten times so I could have done the same thing, <laughs> but I apologise, <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> I guess the way we could do it is if one of us reads up the list. Throw them at me and the I'll other, give you my... Uh... The other person agrees whether they... It's on their list, and Colin can say what he felt about that bit. Yeah, yeah. One thing though, one thing. Can I just can I um, bring up the elephant in the room of this? It comes up a few times in the film. How are they all communicating with each other? <laughs> because don't give me this shit. They've got ear headsets on because I was looking out for these little things. There's one. There's one time early on where someone goes puts their hand up to their ear and speaks, and I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Then they have got something. But then that never happens again, and they're just an entire city is is literally like falling to bits around them, and they're talking like how we're talking to each other now. I'm not saying it's like a breaking point for me with the movie, but it was just like a question mark of. I'd say Stark this... has his headset, and he, that's how he's yeah, yeah, communicating yeah, 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 with yeah, people. Yeah. The Hulk is off doing his own thing; he's off smashing. Um, and but even when even when Iron Man and Captain America are trying to fix the ship at the beginning. How are they talking to each other? Because let's be fair, they're on the side of a fucking aircraft, so it's not exactly mm-hmm. like we're sat in a quiet I room. would say that in the script they're saying they are wearing earpieces, but if you think about it in the terms of a film, especially in terms of what it's like visually and continuity-wise, yeah. if every scene a character's touching their ear... No, I get it's it. A bit, I get yeah, it. I was, you just have to suspend disbelief. Sure, surely, I'm, surely I'm not the only person to have ever, ever thought that. It's the first time I've heard it. If you've watched Honest Trailers on YouTube... I uh, don't think a couple of well, maybe, maybe the... avoid it till you've watched more um, okay. more Marvel films. But they basically do a trailer, like a parody trailer of a film. And the one for Avengers is like 
they mention that exact point. Of oh, like, right. How are they talking to each other? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I'm not the only one that picked up on it then. No, no, you're not. It's, um, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. It's brilliant. <laughs> I, another thing I want to point out as well that I only noticed this time watching it through, Banner slash Hulk goes through the whole of this section from him being in that warehouse to the end, not wearing any underwear whatsoever. Because he's nutty when he falls through the warehouse, and the guy just throws in some trousers. He don't. He's not got any pants or boxers. Some man. He's lucky that those trousers did split when he transformed. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'd be worried about. Look, I've got. Once I'm gone, I'm gone. This is literally um, the type of shit you pick up on when you're watching a film for the tenth time. <laughs> <isn't it>? Yeah, <laughs> it's out of my control now. <laughs> if, I, if I transform and these trousers that are random. <laughs> warehouse worker give me oh. do not give <laughs> everyone's going to see everything and the Hulk don't care no <laughs> <laughs> he's not a prude is he let's be honest <laughs> god's sake anyway throw me but some yeah. of these uh, throw me some of these these bits you like see if we get the Colin seal of approval do you want to go first George should we take turns uh, what have I got okay um, the beginning of the battle just as we get a glimmer of maybe regret in Loki's eyes, where he wonders if he's gone too far. And just as soon as we think, are are they going to redeem Loki? He then stabs Thor. Uh, Because Loki (laughs) will never change. And much like Thor 1, we can't help but love him. He's just too... He's too deliciously evil to hate. And it's such a, you know, it's a balancing act. But Tom Hiddleston's performance with Joss Whedon's script, they really fully elevate Loki to an incredible villain. I love that moment. Yeah, most definitely. And I agree, man. They did elevate his character and, and he was my favourite thing about, you know, Thor. So yeah, I was very, very pleased mm. with You was upset when the portal closed, weren't you? Like, yeah, sake. I know. I was like, fuck, man, nearly had him. Nearly had King Loki. <laughs> One of my favourite moments is that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. <laughs> when Bruce turns up, we've got that moment where this big Leviathan Oh, yeah, space yeah. worm things coming down the street towards them and Cap's like you better get angry soon Mr. Like Dr. Banner <laughs> he's like that's my secret and that's what I really that's what was missing in The Incredible Hulk for me was that it was all about adrenaline in, in that film whereas here yeah. it's like no I'm always furious everything makes me angry I'm a big ball of rage and all I have to do is kind of let myself mm-hmm. feel it and they'll turn into the Hulk. So he's always holding back the Hulk. Mm. Rather than... It's the, the key isn't to get angry. The key is to let himself... Yeah. Stop holding back. Which I think was... It It really makes... um, It makes the Incredible Hulk look worse after you've watched this. Oh, the yeah. movie, The yeah. Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Which is why... Because I remember you guys, before you rewatched it recently, you were sort of saying it's one of the ones that you... you Considered know, one of your favourite yeah. out of the series. And I think like... I I don't know if that continues to carry on, but obviously now for me of seeing this and a different person playing Bruce Banner and the Hulk, it's like, yeah, man. I mean, how frustrated is... All the fans must have wished that there was a standalone Hulk. With, with, uh, they're Mark still Ruffalo, wishing right? it, I think. Yeah, I mean, Christ, because I would love to... See, I mean, I don't know how much more the character gets fleshed out mm. in the series, but I'm 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 hoping, I'm hoping he's, he's in... You know, in it still in a big way, and yeah, it was like a one punch knockout with that big old worm. It thing was, as well, yeah, wasn't it? and that and the lovely. transformations all in one cut as well. Yeah, it's all in yeah, the same yeah, shot. Yeah, that was nice. 
so my next one. Um, I like this. Um, to uh, Steve Rogers taking control of Ground Zero. Um, I guess that's what you call it. Only to have one of New York's finest ask why they should listen to him. Oh, okay. To which yep. Steve responds by knocking the smackdown out of the Chitawi. And then the cop then giving his fellow officers Steve's plan. Incredible <laughs> moment. Yeah, it was the nice. comic timing <laughs> in that beat before he then repeats the exact same plan. Yeah, it's yeah. gold. It's almost word for word as well, isn't it? It's, 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 it's word repeat. for word Steve's so, yeah. plan. It's a, it's a wonderful moment. Um, so yeah, um, keep going, Rob. Let's keep this going. So much in the vein of your uh, cap moment, this is another cap leadership moment. And this is where he really starts to come into his own. And after they've had that m- real nice moment of everyone teamed up, he uh, gives everyone their orders. He's like, right, leg- uh, get Hawkeye somewhere You high. called him Legolas then. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly called him Legolas. Yeah. <laughs> Brace yourself, Legolas. <laughs> he-, he goes through the whole list, gives out everyone great strategic sort of advice, and then ends with, and Hulk smash and then hulk's yeah. grin before jumping <laughs> off and kicking ass is one of the that got like such a good reaction in the cinema when mm-hmm. we went to see it it's just everyone was nice. just like like a stone's throw from hollering at the screen yeah <laughs> and combining that as well is actually a wonderful moment within that scene as well and it's the same moment yeah again where steve is giving his orders to the rest of the avengers it's just before he starts giving the orders uh, stark looks at him and says call it cap because they've been butting heads this entire film but in that one moment you know with aliens and and ships literally raining down upon them egos are suddenly put aside and stark hands the situation over to the soldier um and mm. yeah it's, it's a goosebumps moment i love that little moment where he allows stark to, um, rogers to take control well that's the the first time that steve's aware of that i think but like there's that scene with loki where you know um, Tony's having that sort of war of words with him and he goes right let's do a, a roll call and he goes through the list of what everyone can do and he's like there's the live, the living legend that kind of lives up to the legend mm-hmm. when he's talking about Cap and that, that shows that he's mind changed am I imagining it there's a bit where he mentions his dad as well so why did my dad worship you or something like that he mentions that it to scene. he mentions it to Banner he says this is, this is the this guy, is my, the guy my dad yeah. always used to go on about. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Which is goes to show why he's got a chip on his shoulder about him. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's lovely. Great stuff. One one thing that made me giggle throughout this entire fight se- or you know action sequence mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it was I couldn't quite tell who actually caused more damage to the city. Like, was it the Avengers or was it the, like, whatever they're called coming from the sky? Because they were not giving a shit, man. They were throwing stuff into the buildings. They were letting all the cars just explode on top of each other. It just made me giggle a little bit. All we'll say is interesting that you mentioned that. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But one one thing next that I time, think we baby. Skipped... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> next time, baby. One thing we skipped over was the um, uh, the bit when oh, what's her name? Scarlett Johansson's got Black mm-hmm. Widow has that sort of small fight scene with Hawkeye when he's still blue eyed. Yeah. 
I just love the fact that she resorts to just biting his hand, and and that's kind of what breaks the whole thing up. It just made me giggle because <laughs> yeah. it's like, ah, if in doubt, just bite someone. You know, like you're the best spy in the world, but if in doubt, just, just bite, bite someone. I loved it. Yeah, it, yeah. it. It's almost like something out of an Austin Powers film. Yeah, the way that exactly. ended. Now oh, you bit me on the hand. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, next oh, bit, you yeah. or me, Rob? Uh, you just did Tony's moment. Yes, call it cat. So I will go for Thor. Hulk getting revenge on Thor. Yes, that was my next one. Yeah, so you've had the well, there's several moments within it, but it's what is the almost the end moment of what's called the Wanna. Mm-hmm. So it's like played out all as one shot, and we see um, Tony flying through the sky. You see Hawkeye on top of a building shooting arrows at various different ships. You see the ground where Cap's bouncing the lasers off of Tony and like getting a sort of um sort of working alongside Thor. Everyone's just sort of working in perfect unison mm. in this real slick sequence. But then the bit that I think is just the most badass is Thor and Hulk on the back of a massive flying space worm just like beating their way down the back of it until they get to the head. And he like Thor partially wax in this bit of armour plating into its skull and then Hulk just like leaps up and smashes it in and then they ride that into a crashed building just badass yeah. and then the, the kicker is uh, after all that Hulk's remembered that he lost that first fight and just pumps the <laughs> shit out just completely punches him off the screen oh. yeah in like a split second he's gone it's like there's always something quite comical about the way people exit frames mm-hmm. there's like um Django Unchained has a moment like that as well at the yes. top of the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> People just flying off comically. Out if of if the camera had to. panned to the side to show where Thor went, it still would have been funny, but not as funny for the camera to stay completely still and just for Thor to vanish. <laughs> yeah. uh, completely yeah. agree. And so maybe the biggest laugh of the whole film, for me anyway, is when Hulk, and notice how we say Hulk a lot in this, it shows how good he is, mm. is when mm. Hulk and Loki meet face to face oh shit yeah and loki i would have loved to have seen your reaction to this colin and loki starts to give the typical villain speech and hulk (laughs) does not care for it at all and proceeds to grab him by the legs mid-sentence and throw him around like a rag doll colin i bet that worked for you oh completely man yeah no i was (laughs) i was either laughing my head off or just a giant grin i can't remember which one but yeah i love that man yeah. it was because it's it's not what you expect you know you're expecting another another line of dialogue from loki and then maybe some big standoff sort of yeah. thing but it was just like fuck you man <laughs> i just grabbed him <laughs> smashed God. the shit out of him on the floor yeah that no, was great originally do you know there was another plan for that moment in which um so earlier on there's a moment where banner says we can't take what loki says seriously that that guy's crazy you can smell crazy on mm. him and the original idea was that Loki, when greeted by Hulk, was going to surround him with a load of illusions that all look like Loki. And Hulk was going to sniff, smell which one was a real person and oh. thump him. So he was going to smell the crazy on him. Huh. But I, I'm glad they went this way. Yeah, yeah. that, that, that sounds nice cool. Too, but but, yeah. To see Hulk Not smash as... him instead was yeah. much better. It was the voice of the original TV Hulk as well, wasn't it? It's like a mix of Ruffalo and that original. Oh, when he says, "Yeah, TV puny Hulk god" at the end, yeah, puny god. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Have you got any more? No, I thought you'd like that. Um, I really like. It's a really small moment, but 
I think it goes to what Colin was saying about Natasha and um, Clint's relationship. There's a moment where she's like, "Don't does they're like they hate a battle?" And she's like, "Doesn't this remind you of Budapest?" And he's like, "You and me remember Budapest very differently." <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, that's made, yeah, I, that made me laugh. You don't have any idea what Budapest is, but it's just like it immediately. <laughs> you know they've got a history, and you get to see a little bit more of Hawkeye than you got for the rest of the mm. film. And get an idea of how he is with other people because before then he's just been sat in yeah. high up places watching things. It's sort of yeah. So discussing how this sequence ends. So obviously coming into this film fresh, I think if you were told that one of our heroes was going to make the sacrifice play and lay down their life to save everyone else, I think you'd have guessed every other character before you came to Stark. And I think it's a great piece of character development that. It is Tony Stark that makes his choice at the end of the film, you know, showing just how far the character has come from the beginning of Iron Man 1. I, I love this little moment from Stark. Yeah, and Cap calls it, doesn't he, earlier. It's like, you're not the, the man to make the sacrifice play, to lay yourself on the line and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I like. I think it's there at the start, those little tiny changes in how he was in Iron Man 1 and 2. Yeah. And you get to see, right, by the, what's going to be... The, I, I mean, when I first saw this, I was like, okay, what's the next change going to be? Mm. Like, what's, he's, what's the next little thing going to be? Yeah, because you obviously still have to progress Tony Stark, don't you? Yeah. Mm. So what's the next um, version of him? That's true. So action sequences, and particularly sequences as long as this one, to me, can get so boring, so repetitive and monotonous as well. I'm looking at you, Zack Snyder. Uh, But this is constantly creative, it's always inventive, and all of the various beats, all the ones that we've mentioned, are all rooted in character. So we've come to know these heroes over the course of five five films now, and nothing they do is out of character. So, to wrap this battle up, for me, the Battle of New York is a triumph. And I think you agree, Colin. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I think if it had gone on for much longer i think it would have started to get to the point where i'm like oh, okay i mm-hmm. get it you know but overall i thought it was very good there was one eye-rolling moment where hawkeye does like a backwards arrow to someone and that kind of stuff just annoys it was in me. slow motion it's as like, well i think <laughs> i think so yeah like little yeah, things Loki like that catches it. oh it's that one yeah 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 no no not that one he, i oh. think there's one moment where he's just stood on top of a building and it's just like he he kind of without even looking, just mm-hmm. fires one behind him and it just takes out... It's like whilst the, he's talking what? to Stark or someone on his invisible earpiece, yeah. I, it, <laughs> but again, if... Yeah. <laughs> but if I'm, you know, if I'm picking that as the only part of a, what, however long action yeah. sequence that I didn't really like, then yeah, they did Jeremy well, Renner's you know. going to be well upset, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to be pissed. <laughs> the one bit he didn't like and it was me. <laughs> uh, so, in the aftermath of the battle, Thor returns Loki... Uh, and the Tesseract to Asgard, whilst Fury expresses confidence that the Avengers will return if needed. Stark leaves with Banner, and Cap goes off into the horizon on his own. So there it is. That's our first Avengers movie. Did it... I think you missed something. Oh, go on. Excelsior! Oh, yes. (laughs) That was right at the end, though, wasn't Mm. it? Right at the end of the film, just when you thought it was... uh... (laughs) Not going to show at all. There's your old man, your old man, Stan Lee, <laughs> sat there playing chess with someone else. He goes, superheroes in New York? Give me a break. Which is great. Brilliant. Yeah. Cheeky chess scamp. <laughs> I've got him down as. But were you aware of 
bonus Excelsior! In a deleted scene earlier on in the film, Cap was out there in the world getting to sort of trying to reintegrate. And he's in a cafe and he's doing some doodles. He's having a nice cup of uh, coffee. And the waitress comes by and chats to him. They have a small conversation. She asks if he's waiting to see Iron Man fly overhead. And um, she said, you can stay here all day if you want. We've got great wireless. And he says, do you mean the radio? And she looks at him confused. <laughs> to which Stan Lee turns around and goes, ask for a number, you moron. <laughs> <laughs> Seems originally going to be quite early on in the film. She had actually quite a large part in the film as well. We do see lots of glimpses of her during the battle, mm. um, hiding from certain Chitauri. She does give a look to Cap at the end of the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, And then yeah, she's yeah, in the yeah. newsreel uh, footage at the end where she says, Captain mm. America saved my life. And have either of you played the game, or games, The Last of Us? Yes. First one. She yeah, yeah. is Ashley Johnson and she provides the motion capture and voice for Ellie in the Last of Us games. Oh, right. That's not my trivia, but I just wanted to put that Should in. Should have there. been. It's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good job. Isn't it? So, yes, that is our, our first Avengers movie. Colin, did it live up to the hype? Yes, I think so. Because last week, after we finished the podcast, I could definitely tell that you were a fan of this film. Mm. Like the way, the, the couple of things you were saying about it. And. And yeah, man, it literally, it took everything and it's just leveled everything up. And I really enjoyed it. Good. That's very good to hear. So let's discuss ratings. So as always, I know you already know, every, all of our lovely listeners, what we're doing so far. But we're just going to say it anyway. We have um, uh, an account on an app called Letterboxd. And what it does, it, we can create certain film lists and certain film rankings on here. The link to our letterbox account is in the episode description below as well. Um, and what we're going to do is we each give a film a, a rating out of five. Colin does, I do, and so does Rob. So then by the end, we should have our own individual rankings of the MCU. So, Rob, out of five, where are we going? So my highest so far has been... F- Three and a half? I didn't know. The four you, last you, week, wasn't you it? You were four. just about to go on three and a half for Captain America, but you ended up going for four, yes. Yeah, well, that's good, because this week's four and a half. Mm. That's massive. Good. The The only reason it's I think it's getting a half down for me is because visually, sometimes it looks a bit TV, as George said. But that's literally the only reason I would put it down. Mm. Colin. I'm going to go... Um... I think I'm going to go a four and a half. That's really good as well. I enjoyed it, man. I'm not going to lie. I that's, enjoyed that's it. That's epic to hear. And strangely enough, I gave it 4.5 as well. Nice. Um, it is so close to being a five. But, you know, even outside of the MCU, when it comes to giving films five out of five, I'm extremely picky. So trust me when I say four and a half is very, very high. So recently in an interview, Martin Scorsese was asked if he watches these Marvel films. He said he's seen some of them, but he's sad. Because even though they're popular, he wouldn't refer to them as cinema. Now, I in no way would want to disrespect the godfather of film. One of the greatest living directors of our time. But to me, this is cinema. It's, you know, it's sitting in a room full of people. Popcorn in my hand, watching a huge green 
giant grab a half Asgardian, half ice giant in a penthouse suite of a New York skyscraper and essentially swat him like a fly. Sorry, Marty. That's cinema. So, I'll say this. Hmm. Silence didn't make me have feelings the same way that watching Chris Evans punch a punch bag did. <laughs> Sounds like Scorsese needs a couple of his mates to do a podcast called Scorsese versus the MCU. Oh, could, yeah, hosted by Joe Pesci and Robert yeah. De Niro. <laughs> oh, it's not how, it's not cinema. But can't you see, Marty? He's, he's, uh, he's started off really, really nervous and, and edgy, and now he's accepting his rage. <laughs> That could be whoever you want. I was about to say, <laughs> you should fill in the blanks. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to ask. Uh, and now let's do some trivia. And let's do it before we move on to mm-hmm. trivia. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you finish, uh-huh. but first, it's a bonus fact. A bonus fact. He's only got a daddy. It's a bonus fact. <laughs> Did you know that there was? We've talked a lot about Marvel one shots. So these are like short films that link in. But was you aware there was one for the Avengers that takes place after the Avengers? And it's called Item 47. You've already mentioned the name of the director as well, who is a producer at Marvel called Louis Despacito, <laughs> who was a no. Marvel producer and has recently... Well, he's been involved in other Marvel projects, but we'll leave out what other ones he's directed. Mm. But it basically takes place after the Battle of New York and it involves two robbers that are played by Lizzie Kaplan and Jesse Bradford and they find a Chitari gun that has been deactivated. Mm. But yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting mm. that it's not just like a one little two-minute gag. It's like a ten-minute film as well. Mm. It's oh, really well, well put together. But worth checking out if you have the bonus... Uh, the bonus disc, the bonus disc. Yes, it's on the Blu-ray. right trivia it's on disney plus so take that streamers oh by the way my disney plus was fucking about on this one oh luckily luckily it it happened in like the five minutes before the giant action Mm. scene started but it just kept buffering man and i was like no no you can't be doing this now Weirdly, it's the American version as well, because the British version has Avengers Assembled as the title. Mm. And Coulson, you don't see the knife go through his chest. Well, yeah, because uh, in America, they originally got a R rating, which is essentially a 15 rating in the UK. And it was because when Loki impales him, it did come through his chest and it went quite far. Um, and then that got the R rating. And they said, well, if you just CGI that bit out, um, we'll reduce it down to PG-13, essentially a 12, and they did, yeah. So um, there's different versions of that scene out there as well. So, Rob, you interrupted my introduction for the trivia to give me some trivia. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Brilliant. Um, I was not going to make this the, my trivia. It's just a bonus <laughs> fact, isn't it? It's a bonus feature fact. Well, I'm glad you it's did. Not trivia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like that as well, because it does show that there are ramifications to the Battle of New York and the Chitauri invasion. And... Let's say, you know, it's th- th- that battle is not forgotten in terms of where the mm. MCU goes as well. Um, next time, baby. You know too much for your own good. Now, that's what I call using the old head. So, uh, yes, trivia. I cannot remember who went first last week. God knows. 
I think you did, mate. I did. Yeah, I think you did. Perfect. Rob, over to you. So. Are we drawn at this point? I'm going to let you finish. But are we drawn at this point? (laughs) No, I think. (laughs) Uh, No, we can't because we've done five. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's free two to Rob. It's free two to me, I think. Okay, interesting. No, no pressure. So, the Chitauri, the swarm-like mass horde army, kill the big one, they all faint or something. <laughs> but did you know the word Chitauri comes from, it's gained notoriety from writings known as the Reptilian Agenda, where a Zulu sh- uh, shaman and historian called Credo Mutwa apologies, <laughs> Mr. Mutwa, if I pronounce that wrong, and David Ick, a British conspiracy theorist, they posed that um, these reptilian shape-shifting creatures called the Chitauri have actually taken over Earth and are controlling Earth via an Illuminati. Now, this is genuine conspiracy theory. Now, Mark Miller, who is, to those who aren't aware, a cheeky comic book Scottish man who wrote things such as Kick-Ass and various big Marvel titles that may or may not be referenced in future films, so I won't go too in-depth. He used the idea of them being an alien force for the first time within a comic book run called The Ultimates. I just thought it was interesting that they based it off some real-world mad conspiracy, and that is in a Disney film. (laughs) I like that a lot, man. I like that a lot. And you mentioned it's a Disney film. This isn't my trivia, but Colin, it's actually worth mentioning that it was after this was released... Disney came calling. So Marvel oh, really? Studios were then essentially approached by Disney to say, we still want you to be an act and, as, and run as an independent studio. We're just happy to then distribute it for you. Take your money. Give you more budgets and stuff like that. They just smelt the money, man. It's because it, it, it did well at the box yeah. office. They're like, come on, let's take over. Mickey gave them a call. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So... Kevin Feige and Ike Palmata then did say, well, we're kind of doing okay as we are now. And then Disney were like, we'll give you $4 billion. And they were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, got it. So uh, Marvel enough, Studios man. then... I imagine it playing out like that cap scene with the cop. Yes. <laughs> he, he's like, Disney are like, we'll give you four... We, we, yeah, we want to do this with distribution. We'll help you with marketing. We'll give you a bigger budgets. Why should we listen to you? <laughs> give you four billion. Four billion. <laughs> you can help okay, with distribution. We'll you can help with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. So, yeah... Uh, that, yeah, so they officially now became Marvel Studios, um, but now um, kind of spearheaded and ran by Disney as well. So my trivia. So way back in 1996, when Joss Whedon was holding auditions for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he had a guy come in to read for the part of Xander. Now, Xander's one of the main characters, and he's one of Buffy's best friends in high school. Um, the guy that got the part was a man called Nicholas Brendan. And he made such an impact and was so funny. His audition for Buffy in 1996 ended up inspiring part of the script for the Avengers itself. So during his audition, he was full of like this. He was full of nervous energy, much like Xander the character is too. And he he, he nailed the audition. He blew everyone away. And immediately they knew they, they'd found Xander. Now after he did his line readings, everyone in the room was dead silent. 
mainly because they were just in shock as to how good his audition was. So now Nicholas Brendan kind of sensed that the, the, the air in the room had changed. So in order to try and break the silence, just blurted out, well, that was a lot of fun. Who wants to go get some shawarma? Which Joss Whedon found so funny that it was still in his head almost 15 years huh. later. So when he sat down to write the Avengers script and had the scene where they kind of make you think Stark's dead, but you kind of know he's not. He didn't know what one of Stark's first lines should be when he wakes up. And he wanted it to be really random and off the cuff as Tony Stark would do it. And then suddenly his, his mind went back to 1996. I wrote the line, does anyone want to go get some shawarma? And that made the climax of the movie. And that wasn't from IMDb. Thank you, guys. Dude, that, <laughs> um, that was great, man. You've got the point for sure. Oh, that was a good oh, one. Boom. Son of a beast. <laughs> oh, hometown friend. Yeah, he's just one of those reptilian chitauri. <laughs> trying to control the points. Oh, dear. Yeah. So at the end of phase one, points-wise, we are free all. Free all, yeah. So this is the end of phase one then? Yes. Because they mentioned phase two a bunch of times throughout the film. And I know oh, well, they were referencing... The word phase, phase two, two keeps getting referenced. So at the, at the yeah, beginning, yeah. when they arrive to find the Tesseract sort of malfunctioning, they do say start phase two. Yeah, and then it's on like a screen in the background at some point as well. I'm pretty sure it pops up a couple of times and I didn't know if that was in... The security, the World Security Council mentioned stuff like phase two, but I think phase yeah, that's two it, yeah. in the world of the MCU is developing the Tesseract to make weapons. Okay. That's phase, oh, okay, that's right. to them what phase two is. It's got nothing to do with our phase two. Oh, okay. So then to wrap up, as we've just said, we've done it, gents. We have completed phase one and what a pleasure it has been. Uh, so Colin, any regret starting this adventure with us or you still loving it? I Coming into watching the Avengers today... Because I hadn't been that blown away by the last couple of films, Thor and Captain America. The one was before that, yeah, Captain America. That's it. So, I'm obviously I was still excited to do the podcast and chat to you boys once a week and all this that, and the other. But there was a point where I was starting to think, <laughs> am I just not going to be vibing with these? I'm just going to have to come back every week and just be like, yeah, it didn't really do anything for me. And then you guys just fucking geek out for an hour. Um, but after watching Avengers today. Man, it's literally just injected me with like adrenaline to get on with Whoa. this shit. So I'm 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 buzzing now. <laughs> yeah, I'm buzzing for it. Perfect. So any idea what comes next? Like to hazard a guess? Where would you like to go next? I mean I want more Avengers, but I very much doubt they're gonna just smash back into the second one with mm. knowing that um there's more individual movies to come. Whew, it's tough, man. It could be Yeah, I don't have a clue. If well, I'm honest. That's fine. So to kick <laughs> off phase two, we are spending even more time with Mr. Tony Stark as we head oh. to watch Iron Man 3. Uh, as always, it's been a pleasure, boys. Rob, say goodbye. Goodbye. Colin, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Next time we meet, let it be in peace and friendship. This is as far as you're going to get tonight. Such valuable stuff. All in a nice work. Sweet dreams, little friends. Look out! Oh, oh, he's escaping! 
Oh, just when you thought we'd finished phase one, there's still a little bit more gas in the tank. So, in a mid-credit scene, the other confers with his master, saying they did not anticipate Earth to fight back like they did. And with the height with the heroes they currently have protecting Earth, to try again would be to court death. His master then turns his face to the camera and proceeds to smile at the thought of it. Colin, do you know who this is? Not a clue, but I can imagine we're going to be seeing a lot more of this okay. guy, I guess. So <laughs> guy. the only thing you heard people say when leaving the cinema was... Who was that guy at the end? Oh, um, right, okay. So I didn't miss anything So then. you had fans of the... But then you had fans of the comics who left mm. the cinema going, well, the Avengers are fucked. Um, oh. Because this guy... We won't, we're not going to go into loads of details here, but this guy is called Thanos. Oh, that name rings so a bell. Yeah, maybe yeah, later yeah. on in later films, we'll start digging a little bit more into who this Thanos fella is. But we'll just say... The, the, he's a yeah, problem. He's a problem, and he's he's gonna he's gonna cause some trouble. Um, so in the comic books, at least, we'll just say that he is the cause of death for many many Avengers. So that's what made the hmm. fans leave the cinema going. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Did you guys know with the comics, or were you were you one of the ones going? Who the hell's that dude? To be honest, I wasn't massively into the comic books then, so I did have to yeah. sort of go. Hang on, who is that, that guy? Like, yeah. and I had to read up <laughs> yeah, on it yeah. a little bit. And once I found out his storylines in the comics and what he what he's done and who he's killed and stuff like that, I was like, oh my god! Because obviously they're not, they're not going to do direct continu- direct like sure, adaptations sure. of the comics. But knowing they're at least introducing this guy, I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. It's one. Well, it was quite early on, so it's knowing what's gonna stay being used and what isn't going to be used is this just another next time baby or <laughs> is this something else um i he's one of those people that i i recognized him like i had seen art of him in the comics okay so i was aware of him but not of his story or yeah really the in-depth stuff i had to do a bit of research on Allison well so i could look smart for my friends <laughs> <laughs> do you know who he is yeah i know who he is yeah. So. <laughs> so we don't want to talk so, about that. So Thanos, isn't it? <laughs> it's that guy, isn't he? You know, you know, it is. So we also get treated to one last credit scene, and I, I don't know how you reacted to this, Colin, but I love this one. So, oh wait, was there one after the credits? Oh, <gasps> oh no, I saw the mid-credit one, and then it came up with the rest, and I was like, I was done. There's it? two. So I turned it off. <laughs> Shit. To the listeners, when George did that noise, that oh, he did a face that I could only compare to Mrs. Brown of the oh, oh, BBC no. sitcom, oh, no. Mrs. Brown's no. Just I just sort of saw the little wig around his face so, in my head. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't watch so it. So there man. is another one, but to be honest, it's about no because. Because even on Disney Plus, after it, that, it, bit, it gets rid it, of the, the box credits, goes yeah. down into the bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Don't I get just that on didn't... the Blu-ray. Stay <laughs> <laughs> physical forever. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, on Disney Plus, but there is one more oh, scene. Shit. Um, it's actually Sorry. only a couple of seconds long. There's no dialogue. Rob, okay. care to explain what it is? It's just the Avengers sitting in a sort of almost ransacked shawarma shop eating oh. food together. 
okay. So cool. it's obviously it's in it's a shawarma restaurant in New York. It's completely covered in rubble. There's one woman in the back sweeping up some of the mess, and all the Avengers mm. are literally sitting around a table eating shawarma, looking a bit exhausted, and then it ends. <laughs> okay. But it's very, very, very funny. Um, and it's it's kind of ridiculous at the same time as well. But it kind of shows that the sense of humour these films have about themselves as well. And this yeah. was actually a late, late addition to the film. It was actually shot after the premiere for The Avengers. So anyone actually attending the premiere of the film didn't get to see this scene. It hadn't even been shot yet. So Joss Whedon had this idea at the premiere. Since all the cast were together, he sort of proposed the idea. Can we just all get together tomorrow for like an hour and get hmm. all in costume just so we can show everyone just like eating shawarma at the end? Um, they all thought it was a ridiculous idea, but a genius idea. And they all agreed. And now, uh, But if you notice as well, maybe watch it. Um, we'll send it to you after this. And we'll link it in the yeah, episode yeah, yeah. description for the episode as well. Um, Chris Evans was actually, who plays obviously Steve Rogers, was in a play in Broadway at the time and was kind of sporting a beard at the time because the part of the role uh, it needed it. So they just came up with the simple idea, just lean on your face. So Chris Evans in the scene kind of never looks up because then we'd see his beard. Yet again, utterly ridiculous, oh, okay. but hey, our world's greatest heroes have got to eat sometime. And remember... You can change your score, but only once. So if news of this extra scene has pushed it from a four and a half to a five... Let us know. Just let us know. Uh, I think I'll stick with the four okay. and a half. <laughs> uh, yeah, so thanks for listening again, everyone. Uh, stay safe, stay well, stay nerdy. <laughs>